It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a special edition of Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman, on the day where Jacob deGrom has returned for the first time in over a year, and on the day in which all the questions we had about the trade deadline was answered, because the trade deadline is over, and unlike the past, that's it. There's no waiver day, there's no, oop, this guy may slip through, this is it, this is the roster, this is what happened. We'll start with Jake. We'll get to the trade deadline because I'm sure that's where we'll spend most of this podcast. We'll read some of your reactions to what the Mets did do and they didn't do. First off, as far as Jake was concerned, great. As long as Jacob deGrom feels well, as long as Jacob deGrom is good to start in five days on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves and considering he only threw 59 pitches, uh, there would be no reason other than injury to have to give him an extra day. He was mostly great. He comes out right out of the gate. He strikes out Victor Robles. He strikes out Luis Garcia. He gets a weak round out to shortstop. Gets a a fairly easy second inning, helped out by Starling Marte, who makes that great throw to second on the Kiebert Ruiz base hit. He pitches a 1-2-3 third inning, though the Cesar Hernandez ball was ripped. It happened to be right at Brandon Nimmo. And then in the fourth and fifth inning, I'd say he looked human especially in the fourth when he gives up the hit to Victor Robles, who steals second, and he gives up the double to Luis Garcia. And then what we saw was a part of Jacob deGrom's brilliance. You know, I think over the last few years, we've been spoiled by his dominance, but you forget how when there are guys on base, Jacob deGrom finds a way to get through it. And there are two games that define that for me. Number one's the obvious, game five against the Dodgers in 2015. The other... I don't know if anybody remembers this one. A couple of years ago, he was coming off another injury scare, and he was making his return against the Philadelphia Phillies in Philly, and he threw 40 pitches in the first inning and somehow got through that inning, unscathed, didn't give up a run, but he threw 40 pitches to the point where the Mets took him out. They said, all right, we're not messing around. We don't want to risk anything. But I remember watching it thinking, this guy just put on a master class of how to ball up and get out of a jam. So it's kind of one of those games in which I don't remember if the Mets won or lost. I don't remember who came in after Jake, but it was one of the many examples where he just shows balls. And that's the great thing about him. So I think what we saw in the fourth inning after he gave up the double to Luis Garcia and the Nationals took a one nothing lead was typical Jake. He was helped out by a great play by Pete Alonso, but he strikes out Nelson Cruz and he threw a circle change on 0-2, which he rarely throws to strike him out with a runner on third less than two outs in a you-gotta-strike-this-guy-out situation. And then a little bit of a scare because Kiebert Ruiz gave one a ride. He pitched a 1-2-3 fifth inning. One ball was hit hard against him. And you kind of figured after the fifth, even with a pitch count of 59, I wasn't surprised Buck said, all right, we're good. Now, what we have to understand is when the Mets offensively really fit into their whole thing with Jacob DeGrom, let's not score any runs for him, but when they couldn't hit Corey Abbott, I know the odds were stacked that the Mets were going to win this game. I think they were the biggest road favorite of any baseball team this year. But once you go to the bullpen in the sixth inning and you don't have Michael Givens, we'll get to him in a little bit, and Adam Adovino is likely unavailable, you're, you know we're going to see kind of the underbelly of this Met bullpen. So the only way the Mets are going to win this game is if, miraculously, Steven Nagosik maintains his 0.61 ERA. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Yoan Lopez uh, pitches brilliant. He, for the most part, didn't. And the Met offense pound the Nationals' bullpen, which... I thought for a second they may do when Lindor hit the home run and they put a couple of guys on base in the seventh inning. And then, to Davey Martinez's credit, he said, hey, I'm going to use my best reliever in the seventh inning. Why not? And Kyle Finnegan sort of got lucky with that line drive by Nimmo that turned into a double play. But this kind of reeked of a loss. It felt like Max's return game. When Max returned against the Reds, he pitched really well that day. And if memory serves correct, the Mets lost that game. So, look, the Mets aren't going to win every single game. They have owned the Nationals this season. 
They are now 9-3 and three against the Nationals. It's very difficult to go 17-2 and two against the team like the Yankees did a few years ago against the Orioles. It sucks to lose this team, especially when they had nobody in their lineup and they traded Josh Bell and they traded Juan Soto. And you're watching, you know, Joey Manessis, a 30-year-old rookie, hit bombs of home runs. But the loss should not piss us off. It really shouldn't. Because there's nothing about this loss that's related to the trade deadline. Let's just be honest about that. It really isn't. I get it that Yoan Lopez and Steven Nagosik suck, but guess what? They're gone tomorrow. They really are. Because they acquired Michael Givens, they're activating Trevor May, and they're two guys that are leaving, and it's probably those two guys. So I'm just being fair. They didn't lose this game because of the trade deadline. They also couldn't hit this game. I mean, let's face it. You know, we could rip Nagosik and Lopez all day. The Met offense outside of a home run by Francisco Lindor in the sixth inning did nothing. One quick point about this game, strategic-wise, and then we'll get to the trade deadline. When he let Nitto hit in the seventh inning with 2-1 and nobody out, I didn't like that move. We talked about this last time on the Rico. You now have built yourself an equipped bench. Not a full bench right now because you eliminated J.D. Davis and you're adding Darren Ruff, so you didn't have him available. Instead, you called up uh, Robertson for the day. But you still had Eduardo Escobar on the bench. You still had Marcana on the bench. You're down by three runs in the seventh inning. Use your effing bullet. Use your bullet. Now, once he decides not to, I don't have an issue bunting with Tomas Nito, even though you're down by three runs, because you're basically saying, look, I'm laying down a bunt because Nito sucks. I don't trust him. He may ground into a double play. And let me get two runs, make it a one-run game. I have confidence with this Met offense, six outs to go, even if all you get in the seventh is two more, I've just cut it to a one-run game. The problem with that is you also had a bullpen that probably wasn't going to keep it at a one-run game. And obviously, Nimmo hitting a bad lucky. It's a line drive. It turns into a double play. I didn't hate the bunt. I didn't like using the bu- not using the bullet because you got bullets on this bench. So use it. Send up Eduardo Escobar trying to hit a three-run home run. Why not? You're down by three runs instead of giving Tomas Nito an at-bat to lay a bunt down. So that's my only issue with Buck. All right, let's get to the trade deadline. I'm going to let Pete Hoffman kick this off because I think Pete represents most Met fans. I think I may be in the minority today and tomorrow, and I accept that, and that's okay. It's how I honestly feel. But Pete, I, I got the impression from being around you in the newsroom at WFN that you were not pleased with this trade deadline. The floor is yours. Uh, I would say I would give this out of like an A, you know, a, a letter grade. I would give it a C minus. First of all, the one thing that you and I established more than anything else, more than anything else, it didn't make a difference. Needed a left-handed bullpen arm. Not even close to that. Didn't even touch it. So that's the first thing that's a strike. Strikeout. You you bring in Michael Givens, okay, fine, you get an upgrade, I guess, at bullpen arm, but again, still wasn't the guys we were looking for. Fulmer went to the Twins. All these other guys are moving. Robertson goes to the Phillies. Everyone's moving around. And then offensively, I'm sorry. I, I, I respect the idea of the, well, we did upgrade offensively because technically speaking, Darren Ruff is better than J.D. Davis. That Vogelbach is better than Dom Smith. That, that Taylor Nyquin uh, is better than Jankowski. Okay, but they are not significantly better where it's like, whoo, game changer. The, this is a piece to the offense that we've been looking for to really put a spark to this off, to this team. Because well, the one thing that's been consistent for the past month is they offensively kind of struggled a little bit. But, but wait, here's where I differ with you. They are significantly better. I mean, all you've got to do is look at J.D. Davis's production and look at Dom Smith's production. The New York Mets production from the D.H. spot, using those two guys as the main guys that are playing, I don't want to count days where Pete Alonso D.H.'s. That's ridiculous. Or the rare day Lindor D.H.'s. If you look at what Dom Smith has done and what J.D. Davis has done, and then you take... Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback, who are clearly going to play against certain pitchers. So you use Crone's numbers, uh, Crone's, um, uh, Ruff's numbers against lefties and Vogelbach's numbers against righties. It's not a slight improvement. It's not. It's a major improvement. Granted, they're not household names. Granted, maybe we don't love the idea of a platoon, but they are considerably better than the garbage we've seen from Dom and JD this season offensively. 
The, uh, but see, I, and I don't disagree because J.D. Davis and Dom Smith had a, what, a combined three home runs? Yes! Was that? That's yes! terrible. That's terrible. But that doesn't mean like, oh, well, good. Darren Ruff, who's batting, what, 213, 214, whatever it is. He's got 12 home runs. He's 37 years old. We gave away, listen, and it's stupid to say because I don't really care about what we gave away. But when you think about it on paper, you say J.D. Davis or Darren Ruff. Okay, fine, whatever. And then you see three prospects go. J.D. Davis is younger. I think he's got like a little bit more Yeah, control. but wait, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, why do we care about what's younger, right? We're talking about winning a championship right now. We're talking about what Darren gives the Ruff team. Darren Ruff is not winning the Mets championship. That's the problem. Darren Ruff produces an 890 OPS against lefties. What the hell did J.D. Davis produce? Darren oh, Ruff against it. lefties is at nine home runs this year. What the hell has J.D. Davis done? Like, I'm not trying to put Darren Ruff in the Hall of Fame. Trust me. I'm just saying he is a clear, clear upgrade over what the hell they've gotten from J.D. Davis, especially against left-handed pitching, who that's who he's supposed to face. He faces lefties. That's what Darren Ruff is going to do. That's why do us all, and I say this to every Met fan, don't give me Darren Ruff's total numbers. I don't care about what he does against righties. He's, very, he's never going to face righties. With Vogelbach and with Naquin, there are going to be rare instances. It'll happen, but rare instances in which Darren Ruff is facing right-handed pitching. So you look at his production against lefties, even though last year had a much better year than this year, his numbers are productive and considerably better than what we saw from J.D. Davis. Here's the problem, though, okay? And I, I respect that analytically you look through it and you can justify why the moves will work technically speaking, and it should work, okay? But then you look at like a team like the Padres. Now, the Padres went all in. They went balls deep, dude. Let's be serious. They went in. They got Hayter. They got Soto. They got Bell. They got, uh, who else did they just grab somebody else today? Brandon Jury. Brandon Jury. They, they got everybody, and they've been getting everybody over the past few years, and the Padres are trying to say, we are trying to win it now. And the problem that I have, Evan, is the Mets never seem to go all in. They feel it feels like we did enough. We should be good. This team is pretty solid. Let's see what we got. Okay, so before because the bullpen, I'm going to mostly agree with you on. So let's just stick with the bats for a second. We'll get to the bullpen and what they did do and what they didn't do. Um, who did you want specifically the Mets to add offensively today? I cannot believe it. Maybe it's more of a Cubs thing, but how? Can Wilson Contreras still be on that team? How is he not gone? I think that, okay, so a couple things about Wilson Contreras. I warmed up to Wilson a lot more over the last few days because I kind of viewed it, and I mentioned this to you last time on the Rico Bronya, that he's your right-handed platoon at DH, and he's a catcher, and so he can do both. So if you love the way Tomas Nitto handles a pitching staff or even James McCann, great. No one's saying they're never going to play anymore. Contreras is a right-handed DH who can catch, much like, you know, uh, Darren Ruff is a right-handed DH who could play first base or the outfield, or Vogelback's a left-handed DH who could play first base. So the idea of Contreras, especially Contreras and Robertson, and we'll touch more on him in a bit because that one pissed me off and a lot of people off. I get it. Would have been a great fit. I thought the Mets and the Cubs were staring each other down. I think the Cubs were probably asking for a significant prospect return. The Mets were saying no. The Cubs were saying yes. And I think we had a stare down. And ultimately, in the case of Contreras, no one backed down. Because the fact the Cubs didn't trade him, which makes it more difficult, Pete, for you and I and every other Met fan to analyze this. David Robertson was traded for somebody. And we could look at who it was and say, give me a freaking break. How come the Mets didn't beat that? That's easy. And so I think when a guy's traded, it's easier for us to digest it, see what he was traded for, and destroy it. The Chicago Cubs may have been asking for Mauricio. They may I don't know what the hell they were asking for. And look, maybe you were willing to do that. Maybe some Mets fans were. I don't know. Gun to my head. Am I trading Mauricio for Wilson Contreras, who's a clear rental? That one's tougher. I'm not doing Francisco Alvarez. I can tell you that. No, I'm not doing Beatty. No, no, no. I can tell you that. But I think clearly what happened with the Cubs is that they were asking for a certain level of prospect. And not only did they not get it from the Mets, they didn't get it from anybody. Hence why they kept him. Well, and then the stupid, and, and here's the thing. It, it just happened recently 
where they could figure out the qualifying offer with the international uh, draft or whatever it was. So the qualifying offer is back again. Right. So now, so now it's for Cubs. They go. You know what? We're not really going to lose much because now we can make that offer. Worst comes worst. If he doesn't accept it, we can get a pick out of it. So it screws the the, the trade deadline again. The qualifying offer has to go. That is one thing in, that's screwing baseball because nobody wants to a trade for anybody, uh, or not that not trade anybody, but nobody wants to sign somebody that's got a draft pick attached to it. They just don't want to do it. Right, and, and you four never got picked. And you as a team could say, I'm driving a harder price knowing I'm getting a draft pick back. But but look, here's the point. He wasn't traded. And, and okay. I think that when a guy gets traded, like J.D. Martinez, you wanted J.D. Martinez, right? That was our dream a few months ago. Sure, yeah. He wasn't traded. I understand. I understand. But here's the thing is, okay, just let me rewind one second. Because we're talking about Darren Ruff for a second. Like, he's like, okay, pinnacle, D.H., right-handed bat, Perfect. Excellent. We already had that on the team. And I, I know that maybe we, we are expecting to play every day, but Eduardo Escobar is that player. Maybe he needs to just platoon and be the right-handed bat. Maybe you should have tried to go and focus in on a third baseman. Well, I think... Maybe I okay, so I think Escobar is sort of becoming that at third base. What the Mets have become over the last few weeks based on performance and certainly based on their acquisitions is at third base at DH, at left field, they're a platoon team. The San Francisco Giants did it brilliantly last year to over 100 wins. Now, they're not a complete platoon team because a guy like Pete Alonso's playing every day, Brandon Nimmo's playing every day, Starling Marte's playing every day, Francisco Lindor's playing every day, and I think mostly Jeff McNeil's going to play every day. I know there are days in which Buck doesn't play him, but for the most part, he's an everyday player. So I don't think they had enough depth to say, Let's not add a right-handed bat, especially in J.D. Davis' case, who's underperformed, who we bitched about for the last year and a half, can't hit a freaking fastball. Like, okay, so I'm on the air as they trade for Darren Ruff. And I know what the reaction's going to be. First of all, Craig's going to have no idea who he is, and that's fine. (laughs) I I understand that. And there's going to be an underwhelming feeling towards it. But I think it became obvious over the last few days that that's what they were going to get. That's why I've told you about Wilmer Flores the other day and other Met fans were talking about him because they clearly wanted to add to this deep kind of bench slash platoon aspect of this team look you saw the lineup in this game against Washington obviously it didn't work out against uh, the immortal uh, Corey Abbott but Luis Guillerme plays third pace Tyler Naquin's in left field Jeff McNeil's at second they stacked up on lefties against the team that had no lefties out of the bullpen they are trying to employ a four- or five-man bench that's deep. And let's be honest, they've sort of accomplished that. They, they have a deep bench. Now, how Buck uses that is going to be the key. It's going to be the, the part of first guesses and second guesses that we see. So I think they clearly needed to add a right-handed bat. Now, when I saw the trade go down for Ruff and I saw J.D. Davis, I figured that was it. I figured the Giants were saying, hey, we got a little bit younger. Darren Ruff's 36. We're not going anywhere. We'll take J.D. Davis. I did not expect there to be three more pieces in the trade. I'll be the first to admit it. Now, are any of them prospects? Not really. Thomas Zapucky sucks. We remember him from earlier this season when he got the call up. And he's a bit, no one wants to see Thomas Zapucky pitch for the New York Mets. The other and prospects. The Giants know him because the Giants beat the crap out of him. That's what was the that? They, the, that's the team. The Giants were the team that beat the crap out of him. That's true. So I'm surprised they even wanted him. I agree. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's a good point. I was trying to remember what's the team that beat the crap out of him. You're right. It was the Giants. The Giants. And the two other guys they gave up are not prospects. With that said, it is still surprising that Darren Ruff was a four-for-one trade. Like, I, I admit that. And I think most of us admit that the return that they had to give up for Darren Ruff, who is an upgrade over J.D. Davis seemed a little bit too high. But J.D. wasn't traded. Contreras wasn't traded. All right, and I don't want to be this cruel yet because I still want to give Eppler some time, but it kind of got the taste of like a R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno. Like, they fought tooth and nail against Travis Darno, and it's like, oh, we'll throw Noah Syndergaard too. We'll we'll make that happen. (laughs) Well, It's like, okay, cool. And it, listen, I know Darren Ruff is old, is older, and I know J.D. Davis sucked, and Zipelke sucked, but you just never know sometimes with these guys. 
That's that's my issue. Uh, too, look, much, too much for Darren. Ruff. I, I think the odds are none of the pieces they sent to San Francisco for Darren Ruff are gonna bite us in the ass. But hey, keep the audio. Maybe maybe I'm dead <laughs> wrong about it. So so look. I, I, this aspect of the trade deadline, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of Med fans who disagree with me on. I'm not that angry about. I'm not. It wasn't the sexiest moves in the world, but I think that they've clearly upgraded themselves over the last week and a half. I, I don't think there's any question that Naquin, Vogelbach, and Ruff are upgrades over the three guys they had. The one thing that's not ideal that I had mentioned before, but I've kind of gotten off it because I didn't think it was going to happen, is is there anybody in this lineup that really protects Pete Alonso? Especially if Pete continues to have the season he's having. You know, Daniel Vogelbach is not a guy that's going to get Pete Alonso a lot of fat fastballs. He's just not. So it does feel like while it's a feisty lineup, and overall it's a good lineup. Look, the Mets have scored the second most runs in the National League coming into action on Tuesday night. Those are the facts. Only the L.A. Dodgers score more runs per game than the New York Mets. Now, those numbers may change. The Atlanta Braves may pass them. The San Diego Padres with a loaded lineup. Who knows? Maybe they pass them at some point. But that's what they've produced. And they've produced the second most runs in the National League with nothing from catcher, with nothing from third base, and nothing from DH. Now, I don't think that's going to change a catcher. I hope it changes at third base with Escobar and Guillerme essentially platooning. And I certainly think it's going to improve at DH with the acquisitions that they made. Uh, J.D. Martinez wasn't going to be traded. Look, the Red Sox had a weird trade deadline. You know, in one breath, they're trading Christian Vasquez. In the next breath, they're adding Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer. So I think what the Red Sox did may not have been what we exactly thought. By the way, if the Mets made the exact same trade for Darren Ruff, except it was Wilmer Flores instead of Darren Ruff, same package, how would you have reacted to it? I still would have thought that they gave up too much. Okay. I like Wilma. Listen, it, you, the pieces that we're bringing in weren't like these game changers. Like, it's like a, let's bend over backwards to bring in Wilma Flores or Darren Ruff or Volkelbach. That's why people with the Holdman nonsense, I, I thought that was very fair. One for one, call it a day. All right. You know, well, when you're giving. The, the problem with the Holderman nonsense <laughs> leads it to another issue. The problem with the Holderman nonsense, and this is going to be the line. That Billy Epler is going to have to deal with. He's going to have to deal with it from me when he joins us on Thursday and Carton Roberts. Was that freaking comment he made when they made the Holderman trade in which he said there's a robust relief pitching market. He made an arrogant may not be the right word, but he made a comment that implied, hey, don't worry. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, I know you like Colin Holderman. I know that you think he's a competent reliever. But this is a robust relief pitching market, which means I'm going to come back with three guys. And I remember that was my thought because I didn't. I like the addition of Ogilbach. We talked about this. I didn't love giving up a guy off my major league roster who can help me out of my bullpen and Colin Holderman. So Billy Epler told us, don't worry. It's okay. Robust relief market. <laughs> then how the hell do you walk away with one reliever? And I'm not going to sit here dragging Michael Givens. He's had a good year. Buck's familiar with him from his days in Baltimore. It's fine. It, it is what it is. But robust means you're getting a bunch of guys, including a lefty out of this bullpen, when the only freaking lefty you have is Joely Rodriguez, and he shouldn't even be on the roster anymore. That's the problem. Uh, that is the problem, and that's why... Maybe they're they're not doing it. I I, I know that because Peterson's going to start uh, with the, versus the Braves, but I mean maybe they're trying to work him in and like make him regress and and bring him into the bullpen a little bit in AAA. But seriously, like this is this is a major major flaw because in the playoffs there's going to be a time where Jolie Rodriguez is going to have to come in and get important outs versus left-handed batters, and it's not going to happen. No, he's not. You know why? Because he's not any good. And I think that the Mets are going to be in this not ideal position, but a position in which they're going to trust Michael Givens, who this year has had even splits against lefties and righties. And Adam Adovino, who's clearly better against righties than lefties. And Trevor May. And we'll see what the hell he does. He's being activated from the IL. You cannot force feed a lefty to face a lefty when the lefty sucks. I'm serious. So... That's the disappointment. And again, it's very difficult, like I said about Wilson Contreras and J.D. Martinez. 
it's difficult when a guy wasn't traded because when a guy wasn't traded, we aren't looking at what was given up for them. But you go to Andrew Chafin and you say, why? The Tigers are going nowhere. The Mets clearly liked him. They tried to sign him as a free agent. What were the Tigers asking for for Andrew Chafin? What was Texas asking for for Matt Moore? Like, what was the price tag on some of these lefties that made Billy Epler say, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Matt Moore, we talked about, was making the minimum. He's making no money. There's really no, like, held, being held hostage here. It should be nothing. If, if you're going to get, uh, this is what I'm keeping going back to. It's like it's simple. If you're willing to give up J.D. Davis plus three prospects for Darren Ruff, what could have possibly gone on that they couldn't grab a bullpen arm, a Chafin, a Matt Moore? Like, would, it, would they ask for two prospects? Minimal, <laughs> low-end prospects? I mean, but, what, what could they have asked for? But we don't know because they weren't traded. You know, ultimately, whatever they were asking for wasn't that low because nobody traded for those guys. Like, that's the weird thing. When you look at the lefty reliever, that would have been a great addition to this team. And Chafin, to me, was the guy that jumped out at me. I never thought, Gregory Soto, I never thought they were going to deal. He's still young enough. He's their closer. That that may not have been realistic. But what, what the hell, like, why did they keep him? It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, this was a very confusing trade deadline, too, just in general. Because, first of all, the White Sox did absolutely nada. The Guardians did nada. Those teams are still in contention. Damn right they are. Really? Yeah. Right, but they, they did nothing. And then I, I saw the uh, the uh, GM sit down and speak. He's like, yeah, we're really frustrated. Like, uh, this is bad timing. But, you know, I don't like to talk during these times. But, you know, I have no sleep. I'm frustrated. This wasn't ideal. We, we but, but, you know, bringing back the guys once we're all healthy – this should be a step in the right direction. I'm like, wow. It sounds like a cop out. It that's like, that's like what that's what every team tells themselves. That's what the Mets are going to tell us. The Mets are going to say Trevor May's coming back, Tyler McGill coming out of the bullpen. Maybe at some point David Peterson out of the bullpen will be okay. And look, I'm not going to tell you that Trevor May can't be good. Relief pitchers are so up and down, and we've seen some good from Trevor May. I just can't rely on it, and that's the difference. The difference is. You can't go into August and September with these huge games against Atlanta as the league gets cut to three in the loss column and rely on someone who hasn't pitched this year, essentially, or rely on a guy in McGill who hasn't pitched out of the bullpen. I don't know where he is in his rehab. Or rely on David Peterson, who was given that hard audition last week against the Yankees and failed. This was a time to add reliability. Michael Gibbons is a good pickup. I think we do need to take a step back. And, look, I believe relievers are volatile year to year. There have been years in which Michael Givens is not very good. There have been years where Michael Givens has been very good. If you look at his numbers this year in Chicago against lefties, against righties, he's had a good year. Does that mean he's going to be Addison Reed 2015 or Guillermo Moda 2006 or Billy Taylor 1999? I don't know. But he is a living, breathing reliever who's better than a lot of guys on this roster. It's a fine move. I have no issue with it. The big issue is how David Robertson ended up in Philadelphia for a guy who I know is having a good year this year in the minors, but is the 25th ranked prospect for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's the one that Billy's got to explain. We saw what David Robertson cost. We know what the price tag was. And the answer was not a lot. So, I think that's the one that's going to stick with me and a lot of other Met fans because, A, he was the primary target. He has proven he could pitch in New York. He's great against lefties. So you acquire David Robertson, you can almost answer. You could argue you solved the lefty issue. You could. Look at his numbers against lefties. Who cares if he doesn't throw left-handed? Fine. And you let him go to a division rival for a middling prospect? That's the most frustrating thing about this deadline, in my opinion. Uh, and you think about this, how the Yankees, and I understand it's a different position, whatever, but the Yankees got technically more back for Joey Gallo in a 15th overall prospect from the Dodgers, and that guy beat her. Yeah. You're talking about a 26th uh, level prospect. It's nothing. It's nada. So, and you're, you know the Cubs and the Mets were in negotiation the whole time because they ended up getting givens. So, so the, something fell flat, and here's the problem. 
and, and, and this is where you go back to other teams, and we're going to talk about some more divisional stuff with the Braves, what they did. Epler, I, I, after this deadline, I don't know if I can trust him because it seems like other people are playing chess. He's playing checkers. Well, I, I don't know, man. I mean, first of all, let's see what these moves turn out to be. You know, I think when the Atlanta Braves made their trade deadline deals last year, we looked at it and said, oh, they're being aggressive. That's cute. It turned out to be home runs. Turned out to be grand slams. We don't know. You know, if we're sitting here three months from now and Daniel Vogelbach is the NLCS MVP, I think the view of Billy Epler may be very different. You know, where Michael Givens doesn't allow a run, you know, through October. So I think a lot of times you just got to see what these moves turn into. But yeah, I think this was a trade deadline that for me, and I don't think I'm as negative as other Met fans about it, the way I would define it was it was a little bit disappointing. A little bit disappointing. I... I think they got better in a lot of areas. Like, the Mets are a better team today than they were yesterday. You may not want to hear it. You may still want to bitch and moan about it. But those are facts. They added Michael Givens. They added a competent reliever to this bullpen. That's a fact. They added a better left-handed bat than Dom Smith, a better bat than Jankowski, a better bat than J.D. Davis. Those are just all facts. The Mets are a better team today than they were a week and a half ago. But it wasn't enough. And that's the frustrating part, that the bar was a little bit higher for this trade deadline, especially in terms of the bullpen, and they didn't deliver. Now, can the New York Mets win the World Series? Yes. I hate those comments. Oh, this team can't win the World Series. That team can't win the World Series. First of all, I don't know if people have been paying attention. If you make the freaking playoffs, you have a chance to win the World Series. That's the way baseball works these days. If you can get in and you can get hot for a few weeks, you can win the World Series. That's just the way it is. The Atlanta Braves sort of proved that last year after having what was, for the most part, a disappointing regular season. So I hate that phrasing that people, this team can't win the World Series. You freaking kidding me? If you're in the Divisional Series, you can win the World Series. I know we got a new round this year, but (laughs) if you're in the best of five, you can win the freaking World Series. And so the Mets are on a 100-win pace. They just added Jacob DeGrom. Yes, they can win the World Series, but... That doesn't mean this wasn't a disappointing trade deadline. Like, those two things can be true. You can say, I was disappointed with this trade deadline, but hey, yes, the Mets can win the World Series. Of course they can. And maybe Trevor May is going to dominate. I didn't want to rely on Trevor May dominating. That was the problem. Uh, and, and just for people's FYI, because I, I decided to do the research myself because I was so pissed with, the, with what I felt was a lackluster uh, trade deadline for the Mets. And I saw what the Braves did last year. I'm right. like, oh, my God. Like, they made a lot of moves to, to, to help them win the World Series. I went back. I skipped 2020 because I didn't really care. It doesn't count. I went to 2019, and I looked at the Nationals, and I stopped by search right there because they basically did nothing at the deadline. They did really nothing to add to bolster the team. Unless I'm missing something, there was really nothing they did. So it's like you can't just sit there and rely on this. Like, this is the be-all. No, no, no. Look, you want to get better, especially nowadays. This is your last chance to get better. There's no, hey, maybe we'll get somebody through waivers. It used to be a different era a few years ago with that second trade deadline. It's not the end-all, be-all, but in this moment, this was your last chance, other than calling up minor leaguers, which we'll get to in a second, that where you could infuse talent. I, I am very skeptical, not only based on what Billy Epler said, but based on the moves that they made that the Mets are infusing young talent. Like, first of all, there's no one that can do it bullpen-wise, so that's not an option. Uh, David, Pe- <laughs> David Peterson out of the bullpen, you don't love it, but I think that's an option for more down the road. The Mets have a couple of doubleheaders they still have to play. The Braves this weekend, the Phillies in a couple of weeks. I, I don't think they're calling up Vientos based on the trade for Darren Ruff. And I don't think they're calling up Francisco Alvarez, even though they were talking about adding a catcher. Because I guess the question I'd ask is, if they call up Francisco Alvarez, where is he playing? Is he catching? Are the New York Mets with a veteran staff of Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, are they going to allow someone that young and inexperienced to be their catcher? I don't believe they will. Whenever we talked about Alvarez off in the past, I mentioned him as a DH. Is he going to DH? Not right now, not with the Vogel back platoon with Ruff. So uh, Pat Ragazzo reported that the other day. Hey, they could pivot towards Alvarez, and I, I don't see it, man. I mean, maybe in September, maybe if guys are really, really struggling, but the way they're built right now, I don't see how that works. No, and, and, and I was rushing Alvarez for the longest time, and I feel like now it's like too late for it. Like, I'm like, 
I don't want to see him this month. And I don't really want to see him in September either because you're in a pennant race. It's going to be a nail-biter. I, I, I definitely believe it now because I, not, nothing that the Mets did propelled them to be a dominant team the rest of the way. Their dominance is going to be consistent however they've been the past two months. It's what they're going to be like the rest of the year. It's going to be back and forth, and we're going to have these ups and downs, and it's going to be crazy. So I don't really want to see them in a pennant race because if something goes wrong, we're going to blame them. I don't really well, want that. look, if there was a, a, a need for them... I'd say, sure, why not? Because an infusion of youth can work. And we mentioned what Michael Harris has helped do for Atlanta, and a month ago it made more sense. But I think with what they've added to this roster, it just doesn't fit. It just, I mean, I can't see as bad offensively as Tomas Nito may be and James McCann may be. I've always run skeptical that the Mets were going to call up Alvarez to catch a lot, to, to say, okay, not only are we looking for offense from you, and certainly he'd be an offensive upgrade by accident over Nito and McCann. I just have always been skeptical they would trust that guy behind the plate. And so as we enter the middle part of August, and really this pennant race, nine games coming up with Atlanta, which is going to feel like the end-all be-all, I, I can't see him being a big part of it. Now, I did tweet out earlier, hey, Mets fans, what would you think of the trade deadline? Because I've avoided Twitter for the last few hours, I was a little bit behind on the Met game when I got home. I did catch up. That's why we were able to record this right after the game. So my impression, based on being on the air and checking Twitter at that time, was that most Met fans are very upset about this trade deadline. I think I've expressed a view that shows some disappointment, but has also defended some of the other things. So I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't really know. Um, but I'm curious to hear a nice little sample of tweets and we can respond to some of them or just laugh about them. So Pete, what are the people saying? All right, we'll start with Louie five, two, eight. Uh, I'm going to clean this up a little bit, but effing ridiculous BS. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, let's see. Aunt Fowler says, uh, not a fan. (laughs) Uh, let's see, from B at B Foddy 21 last season, the wheels fell off after the trade deadline. Are you concerned this team will do same? Uh, no, I'm not, because we've seen this team play April, May, June, July, four months of baseball, and what they've done remarkably well is stay consistent. I think Gary Cohn mentioned this on the broadcast today. Their worst month was June. They were right around 500. You know, that's not the wheels falling off necessarily. And I think when you look at this team and you look at this roster, especially with Jake healthy, assuming he remains healthy, and I know that's a big assumption to make, I believe the starting pitching is too good. I mean, look, just look at the last couple of turns in this rotation with Scherzer, with Bassett, with Carrasco pitching so much better, with Walker battling to start the second half, and obviously now with Jake, I think their pitching is too good for that to happen I don't believe this locker room is going to react negatively to the trade deadline I'm sure they like JD Davis but I don't think that's going to cause the room to fall apart and I do think sometimes there are teams that need to see their GM show faith in them by making a trade I remember Sandy Alderson made that comment about the 2015 team he said we needed to show the room hey you've done a decent job now we're going to help you put over the top I don't know if these guys think that way. They're on pace to win 100 games. Their attitude could be, yeah, we're good. We don't need a hero. We don't need a savior. The 2015 Mets needed a hero, and they needed a savior. They needed somebody to save that lineup. That's why Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe were treated like saviors, because the lineup was so bad. The Mets never needed saving. That's not what I think they needed going into this trade deadline. So, no, I don't think the wheels are going to fall off. Well, the protection thing, I think, is a little bit... Uh, for Alonzo in particular, is a little bit of an issue. But that's, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Uh, at Prez NYC 621, terrible. No sense of urgency. Uh, at Lil Sweet Lynn, I don't want excuses, Evan. This should have been a fabulous day, punctuated by Jake's return. But Epler's lack of urgency to go for the jugular at this deadline cast a black cloud all, over it all. They needed a friggin' power bat. And I thought the relief market was robust. Hey. A joke. The robust thing he's going to have to eat, man. There's no doubt. I guess what I wonder about with the power bat is who? Who was the guy that you looked at and said, 
That's the guy. Like, J.D. Martinez, I was still high on, despite the fact he hasn't had a great year. I mean, guys had nine home runs this season. He, you know, Daniel Vogelbach has more home runs than J.D. Martinez. Let's be honest. I was still in for trading for him because of his splits against righties, uh, splits against lefties. And I even said to you, you know what? I could see J.D. getting real hot and giving you a monster second half based on his track record. But the Red Sox didn't trade him. So, was Wilson Contreras the power back? Yeah, I was warming up to that idea, but the Cubs didn't trade him. So when we talk about the bat, the guy to get protection of Pete Alonso, which, yes, I think there's value in, I think it comes back to, okay, who was that guy? You know, I, I, I stand by this too, by the way. They never had a shot at Josh Bell. You didn't think they had a shot at Juan Soto. No kidding. They had no shot at Josh Bell. Mike Rizzo was never going to trade him to the Mets. So for anybody who's pissed off at me forever saying that, dude, it was reality. He never wanted to give the Mets anything. So Josh Bell would have been a great fit for this team. You think there's a chance in hell that Mike Rizzo was making that deal with the for, for, for whomever? Uh, you would have got those same prospects for Juan Soto. It's Juan Soto. So, yes, ideally... A big bat to protect Pete Alonso, A guy I don't have to platoon because he's so good against righties and so good against lefties. Who was that guy? The no, robust it, pitching market's the problem, though, Pete. That's the line. I'm going to agree with everybody who brings it up. Yeah, the only thing is there were people that were moved, and me seeing Contreras not move and some other people not move made me question how, how much chicken Billy Epler was playing. That's my problem. I feel like at some point in time, if you are desperate enough, you make a move. You just say, okay. Were the Mets desperate? I think they should have been. They should have been. For who? They should have. For who? I would have gone Contreras. If you told me Mauricio was the guy they had to get for Contreras, I said, okay, fine. Because realistically, where is he playing? Yeah, I I think. Well, I'm not worried about that. Because, look, how many kids play shortstop and then when they get to the major leagues, they're in a different position? Uh, look, I don't know what Ronnie Mauricio is going to be, and he may be traded during the offseason in a package for Shohei Otani, for all I know. I mean, he could be used in a different package, I, but I don't like that answer of, well, he's a shortstop in San Francisco Lindor. That's that. Edgardo Alfonso was a shortstop coming through the system. Billy Epler made a comment about, and, he, and he's mentioned this a lot, about sustainability and that improving the chances of winning a championship by 1%, is that worth you know, hurting yourself at a 1% clip for five years? And about, a lot about sustainability. And I get it to a degree. Like, I understand. I was never feeling good about trading top prospects unless I'm getting a top return. Like, I, as much as I wanted a David Robertson or as much as I wanted a reliever, I'm not trading Ronnie Mauricio for a reliever. I'm not trading Beatty for a reliever. So I get that, but I think what may have hurt the Mets is their lack of depth in their minor league system where they were so top-heavy, and when you've got a top-heavy system, you may be willing to trade it a, a top prospect, but you're only going to do it for a top return, and I don't know if they ever viewed the guys they were talking about as top returns. I don't know if they looked at Wilson Contreras as a two-month rental who they don't love defensively as a top return. I think that was the big issue and the big difference of opinions that the Mets had and maybe some t- fans had. And, and this is where I will agree to disagree in the situation because I understand the fact that you do want to have prospects. You need you can't just sign everybody in the world. However, if you make a move for a rental Wilson Contreras and you give away a prospect for that, there is a next offseason where you can bring back excess and talent and you can fill the gaps that way. It doesn't all have to be done today, but you should be able to at least put yourself in a situation that betters your team for tomorrow, Look, and th- and that's where they should have. That I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight that tooth and nail because I'm always offensively speaking in the playoffs. The biggest thing is pitching. Yes, of course, if you have a shutdown pitcher and and that's great, but you also need to have a good offense. Oh no no, you got to score runs. Down. Yeah, I, I I agree. Look, I think if they were able to pull off the Contreras deal he was going to feel like that perfect fit as not just an upgrade behind the plate when you catch him, but as a guy who mashes left-handed pitching who could fit that platoon DH role well. What we don't know, and I don't know if we're ever going to know it, is what were the Cubs asking for? And that's why these arguments that we all have are so difficult because we don't know. 
Like, we're not only debating the futures of prospects that we don't know we're going to turn into. We don't know what the ask was. The Robertson thing is, is the one that really pissed me off. The, the thing that annoyed me most was you saw what David Robertson was traded for, and I think you could easily see how the Mets beat, could beat that offer. By the way, Rossiel Iglesias, who's not had a great year, has years left on his deal, is making a lot of money, which fits the Steve Cohen wheelhouse of, hey, I probably won't have to give up a lot. I've just got to take on this bloated contract. Were you pissed about Iglesias? Because I was at first I was because the Braves added a proven major league closer to their bullpen ahead of Minter and Jansen and an established bullpen that's already good. But then, you know, looking deeper at what Iglesias has done this year and the money he's making, I don't know. I don't know how freaking good he is right now. Uh, I, I'm a little upset because they have a backup for Jensen if he gets hurt again. Because Jensen, because he's been hurt right. a, a few times. So that that's that's a backup. Iglesias has had a rough few... I, listen, I have him fantasy, so I've been a little bit extra uh, in on him every every day. His blow-ups have, have come in, in, in like a chunk. And they come in weird times, and they come in in like spots where he just you know just gives up like the, the game, whether it's a tie game or whatever it is. So, I I trust him in big spots still. Um, and again, just again, you bring in another arm. You give away Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi, and and then you 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 sub, you bring in somebody else to fix that bullpen. It it just bothers him. It's like how can everyone else like the Yankees? They bring in Frankie. Well, Marcos. okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Jo- We're overrating what the Braves did and a little bit with the Yankees because something happened that we'll probably get the answer to at some point to explain how the hell they took a quality starting pitcher in Jordan Montgomery and flipped them for a fourth outfielder who's on the injured list. I'm sorry, that, that trade makes no sense. I think if you're just using logic here, they thought they were trading for Pablo Lopez. They, they, they thought that deal was done. So while I right. think the Yankees had a really good deadline and a really good march to July 31st, I think it ended with a fumble. I'm sorry. And I, I don't know what the backstory is. We'll find out at some point. Montgomery for Bader makes no sense. And as far as Atlanta's concerned, a couple of things. And Philadelphia, I want to rip them a little bit too. Uh, Jake Odorizzi does not scare me. I'm sorry. And I know we'll get a chance to see him. And again, save the tape. Maybe I'm going to chew on it. But Odorizzi stinks and Will Smith stinks. And as far as Philadelphia is concerned... I get, am I afraid of Noah Syndergaard? Look, seeing Noah Syndergaard in a big game, even though the Mets and Phillies play in August, they don't play in September, I guess there's that chance. But Noah ducked the Mets in Anaheim. He wanted nothing to do with the Mets in Anaheim. Remember that mysterious, oh, we're going to give him an extra day of rest? He didn't want to meet the media in Anaheim and meet the New York media. F Noah Syndergaard. And Brandon Marsh ain't that good either. I have a higher on-base percentage than Brandon Marsh. So I think sometimes we see the teams around us make moves and say, why don't we do that? Really? I had no interest in Brandon Marsh. I had no interest in Jake Odorizzi or Will Smith, even though he's a lefty. He stinks too. Like, I want good baseball players. And I'm not convinced the Atlanta Braves really hit the ball over the fence. I get the respect we should have for them. They've won a bunch of divisions in a row. They're the defending world champions. And they have my respect. They are a tremendous baseball team. I didn't think they hit it out of the park at the trade deadline. Do you? Uh, I think they got depth. And so the we Mets, got, we got depth, but not enough depth. And the, the one thing, and, and and here's the thing is though, we we, we could sit there and talk about it. Albies is coming back, but um, for Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, Austin Riley, there's some protection in that lineup. I don't value the Mets without protection. The Atlanta Braves, I give you this: the Atlanta Braves have a better lineup than the Mets. I yeah. I agree. Runs per game is pretty much even this year, but lineup for lineup, the Braves have a better lineup. Look, Lindor is going to have to continue to be a clutch star, and he's really had a good season. I think we should just admit it. He's had so many clutch hits this year. The home run he hit on Tuesday will be forgotten about because the Mets ended up losing, but sixth inning down a run, Lindor hits a bomb, and it seems like most of his home runs have either tied the game or given the Mets the lead. Pete has to continue to having an MVP season. Marte, Nimmo. It is going to rely, the Mets lineup is going to rely on their top four guys continuing to be as productive as they've been this year. And then getting more production, like we said, at a DH, at a third base. But 
This is going to be a pennant race. The Mets are in a really good division against a really good team in the Atlanta Braves. Keep an eye on this, though, because obviously San Diego made the deal for Juan Soto and Josh Bell and Brandon Drury. I give you credit, Pete. You said it last time on the Rico. Watch out for Josh Hader. And I was skeptical that the Brewers would ever trade him, and they did. And when they first traded him, my reaction, like everyone's reaction, is why not us? Why not the Mets? When you see the return that they got, I don't think the Mets could have matched that. I mean, right off the top, they got back Rodgers, who's the closer for the San Diego Padres. What the hell were the Mets going to offer? Seth Lugo? I mean, what's the equivalent of Taylor Rodgers? Honestly, is it Seth Lugo? Is it Adam Adovino considering the year he's having? Give him Trevor May. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that Trevor will work. So, look, I would have been excited about trading for Hayter, despite the struggles that he had, the one game he gave up the six runs in. I know he's been more human over the last month or so. I get it. I, I get those those issues adding Josh Hader ahead of Edwin Diaz would have been outstanding. But I think when you looked at that deal, it's fair to say, yeah, they weren't going to be able to match that. That's why to me, it's easier. Like I said about Robertson, it's much easier to criticize or understand a trade when it's made as opposed to the guys that weren't traded. Cause you're dealing from a hypothetical. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, so by the way, what once one sneaky move that happened about a, Three weeks ago, I think it was now, that no one's talked about. And uh, he hasn't hit the majors yet. But Richard Rodriguez came off a suspension after an 80-game suspension for popping for PEDs. Yankees picked him up. I think that was a steal. I think a lot of people might not talk about that. But you talk about bulking the bullpen. They just stole somebody who was uh, the Braves traded for him last year in the playoff uh, playoff race. And that's the thing. I, I, I don't understand. The Mets had a lot of opportunity to look around, to, to kind of have their eyes open, and they missed on bullpen help the entire time. And now what are they supposed to do? Well, r- pray that Trevor May is good. I mean, no. that's really what it comes down to. Pray that uh, Tyler McGill comes out and is good. And, look, if the Mets are in the postseason and they're in a best-of-five series, the divisional series, which they need to, if they win this division, they'll be there. You are going to see a starting pitcher out of the bullpen. Uh, And I think that'll be an interesting debate that hopefully we can have over the next few months. Who's the odd man out? And really, who could help this team out of the bullpen more? But, yeah, today was disappointing. It was disappointing in terms of adding depth to the bullpen. With that said, even though I'm admitting I'm disappointed, most Med fans, at least on social media, seem to be apoplectic. Apoplectic, whatever that freaking word is. Pissed off, embarrassed, angry, mad. I'm not pissed off, angry, or mad. I'm disappointed. And on Thursday, when Billy Epler joins Carton Roberts in a classy way, I will express that disappointment. Uh, We will do another pod after the finale of this series against Washington. I'm actually going to the game. We'll probably record it very late, but don't worry. It will be in your inbox to download Thursday morning guaranteed. So even if we record it at 1 a.m., it'll be there for your morning commute on Thursday And we'll wrap up the series and also get you ready for what's a monstrous five-game series against Atlanta. Jacob DeGrom said, I'm good to go for Sunday. So barring any setbacks in the next few days, at least we know Scherzer and DeGrom facing the Atlanta Braves. Max in one of the doubleheader games on Saturday and Jake on Sunday against Atlanta. And it's only a three-game loss column lead. We'll see what happens to wrap up the Philly Braves series and what wraps up the Met National series. But as of this moment, a three-game loss column lead going into that series against Atlanta. Thank you for listening to a DeGrama's backslash people are pissed off at the trade deadline edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 